and Dominion Fire 360 is on. Million here with you. M-I-L-L-I-A-N, your ministry provocateur, iconoclast, firebrand, and the resident heretic here at Dominion Fire, bringing you a phenomenal episode today that this is going to be amazing because I have been trying to track down this guest for a couple years, and we've kind of missed each other here and there, and today is the day. And as we've said off the air, God has a way to work out his timing where it hits just when it needs to, and this is going to be a good one. Joining me today is uh, someone that I watched in a YouTube video telling a testimony, and we're going to hear some of that today, is a former gay and lesbian activist who had a complete conversion in 2006 and currently runs a ministry. The ministry is called The Evidence Ministry, based in Palm Coast, Florida, and joining me today is Reverend Charlene Catherine. Charlene, welcome to Dominion Fire 360. How are you today? I am fantastic, and I want to thank you. What an honor it is to uh, be on your show. Super cool. Let's get right into it. So uh, would you start by telling your background and leading into your testimony? Give us the full report on you. Absolutely. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to squeeze <laughs> about 29 years into it, into, into just a, a few minutes. But long story short, uh, I left home uh, as a 17-year-old, left um, the uh, covering of uh, my little small Baptist church in Hamilton Township, New Jersey, having been raised in church by God-fearing parents, went to uh, school. Um, but my parents never knew that I had suffered childhood sexual abuse. And, uh, you know, just trying to you know navigate uh, emotionally through that I uh, didn't do very well I had decided somewhere in my psyche that if that's what's being if that is what is being with a man is kind of going to be like then I really don't want anything to do with it and certainly um uh, let's just say that uh, once I got to college uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, there were uh, there was a whole other world that I did not know existed, and that was a whole gay and lesbian, a whole, a whole world of homosexuals who were, you know, partying together, having fun together, and I quietly began to uh, tip into those worlds. Of course, I met people on campus who were going to the gay clubs just for the music, quote unquote. But then you get in there and discover that uh, there are other women and. Uh, I began to meet some of these folk who became interested in me in ways that men never seemed to be. They seemed to be interested in me intellectually, uh, interested in who I really was and what I was doing. But at, but at the same time, there was the, the sexual uh, interest as well. And I gave myself over the years uh, more and more to that, to the point where um, I guess uh, from 17, I, you know, again, I had dibbled and dabbled with it, but I committed myself to uh, lesbianism as a, a a a safer emotional connection for me than dating a man. I decided. I remember the day and the hour. I decided it was a choice. I decided to date women exclusively. I thought it was emotionally safer for me because of the stuff that I had suffered as a young uh, a younger. Um, teenager. And so uh, that's what I did. I decided that. I stopped dating men. I dated women exclusively. And, um, but, uh, you know, moving forward, <laughs> way forward, I started so, uh, uh, socializing, uh, organizing social groups, if you will, and turned it into a business. I've always had business skills and had two other business partners. They were not sexual partners. We were business partners. We were all lesbian, but we we formed a business and uh, put together an organization that was able to draw, gosh, hundreds, seven, eight hundred women on a weekend. And this was back in the late 80s, early 90s. You know, we would rent a beautiful restaurant and we would hire uh, women police policemen who are also lesbian. 
they would work the weekend shift for us and uh, we would have, uh, you know, we would make sure that we have a covered garage so people's cars were not seen on the road. We kept it very quiet because we knew a lot of people were in the closet and people would fly in from everywhere to be at our very well-organized events. Uh, we hired, you know, great entertainment and all that. And people would come. We would have judges and lawyers from the Caribbean and all that. They couldn't be with their significant others in their own town. But they would fly to Atlanta to, to attend the, uh, the, the events that we would produce. And so from that, we started getting attention from the larger uh, gay and lesbian community. I had nothing to do with the political community at that time. They were just watching us. Look how they're able to, oh, look at them. They got softball leagues and baseball leagues and bowling teams. They really got this going on. We made a lot of money. And then something happened. Um, someone, a woman died who was closely associated with our uh, organization. And uh, we, as a community of African-American lesbians, were heartbroken. And uh, we had, had been doing this for about 10, 15 years. We were tired of it. We were just, you know, we gotten a little older and bored with it. And then I was the holder of the mail list. And so from that mail list was able to launch a, uh, an African-American gay and lesbian magazine. And we named it for the woman who in our community had passed away. She was connected to all the local political uh, gay and lesbian groups. And when we named that magazine in her arms, suddenly there was a, a, a vacuum at their table, if you will, because most of the time she was the only person of color. You follow me on the, on the gay planning board or on the mayor's task force for gay and lesbian issues and all that. She was usually the only black, black person. So they came to my door. Okay, you're the publisher of this magazine. You and Venus were best friends. You got to step in and, and, and sort of live out her, you know, her, um, the time that she was supposed to be on this board. That is how I was introduced to uh, the homosexual political machine. And um, I brought all of myself to those positions and went on to, you know, became the board member, a board member of the National Black Gay and Lesbian Leadership Forum, uh, National Black uh, Gay and Lesbian um, Task Force, uh, the mayor's for, the mayor's task force on gay and lesbian issues in Atlanta, just several things. Uh, then I was cool, of course recruited by the Victory Fund, but never did run for in office. And uh, I see people who were at that time also recruited because of the work that they were doing in their own communities. I'll mention Chicago, and I won't, won't mention any other name. Who have now been elected the mayor of the city of Chicago? Come on, we were all on the same footing uh, some years ago in the early nineties. But uh, I, I'm, I'm thankful that, that the Lord snatched me out. Let me tell you about that. I was in Chicago, and this was 2000, uh, no, I think 2004, Black Gay Pride in Chicago. Um, we were in Bryant Field, and our magazine, Venus, at that point had been publishing for nearly 10 years. We were one of the many sponsors of the event. We had a tent. They, you know, I didn't have to pay. They flew me in just to meet the certain groups around the city and all that. And that was the, the day, one of, that was one of the days that the Lord to, chose to open my eyes. This should have been the proudest day of my life. I was making money and being flown in and being treated well by being exactly who I was, a black lesbian. And I was ashamed that day. God showed me that you are on a road that leads to destruction. And look at now these younger people, because you're getting older. These young people are following you. And sure, as soon as this, this, this scene came over me, I really just took in a panoramic view. 
I turned and just looked at men holding hands with men. And oh, tell me, let me tell you, I probably don't have to tell you how, and this was back then, how wild and, you know, just sexually explicit everybody was being and, you know, just dancing. I just felt like I was someplace uh, else. And children were in the midst of us. Little kids, mothers brought their kids to, to Gay Pride event. And all of this was happening in front of them. And uh, because uh, of, of the board activity, I also knew that of the subculture around Black Gay Pride, you know, we would negotiate ahead of every Black Gay Pride in major cities like this, that they would be lenient toward men that they would find having sex in certain places around the city that we knew was going to be happening. And we would explain it a way that these, this is because, you know, they are, you know, our community is suppressed and we're not allowed to accept ourselves. And, and so they, this is the, this the kind of activity, this is the way that is expressed, and so we need you to be lenient. And so I knew what was, if this was happening in front of me, I know what's happening, you know, behind that dumpster over there, and so forth, or in the bathrooms, and so forth. And and so suddenly I just, it became a sickening scene, and uh, I'll never forget that day. And I wish I could tell you that that was the day that I um turned to Christ, but that was, it wasn't, it was a revelation that made me completely uncomfortable with being who I was. I went home, and when I flew back to, uh, I was living in New York at that point, when I flew back to New York, I realized that, um, that I had to do something, because I knew, uh, again, I grew up in church, I knew that uh, there is a day coming that you're going to have to face God and give him what excuse? about not living your real life. This is an imitation of life. You're only playing the role of a, of a, of a guy. I was kind of butch, you see. I got to make decisions like a guy, you see. I got to take the woman out on a date. I got to you know, choose what lady I wanted to be with, that kind of thing. This is an imitation of life. This is not real life. And I you know, uh, began to not be able to sleep well and uh, it was just something. So I went on like that for about two years until, and then I began to to begin to look toward the Christian community, hoping that somebody would share uh, some kind of truth with me that could break through this hard shell that I had built up on my heart and could find none. I'm trying to tell you, and I'm saying that because that's where our churches are going now. They're so lenient. They're so accepting of it that nobody wants to tell you the truth. They're so afraid to offend that when somebody comes looking for the truth, they can't even find it. So I thank God that the Lord knew what kind of truth I needed. Um, he, uh, again, I wasn't in church. I was uh, had moved to New Jersey back to my hometown. My mother had passed away by then. And uh, I, the money that I was making from the magazine Venus, when we were very successful, we had, God, we had just about every um, pharmaceutical company buying four and five color pages at a time uh, from all the, the drugs for AIDS and HIV. We had Subaru. We had uh, Lifetime Television. I'm just trying to give you an idea of who are, what our advertising base was like. We were on automatic pilot making plenty of money. I was the only owner. I was doing fine. And uh, and this then, uh, you know, interrupts my world. I began to um, I began to be troubled about putting out the next issue. It came out uh, every every other month. 
and I'm like, oh my god. I, and I remember the 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 last time I put out an issue, uh, and before I got saved, I began to weep and cry because I knew I was telling the people or allowing other people to tell their stories. What they were telling was was perpetuating a lie against the souls of others. I began to weep that I was still doing this. And uh, that's when I sought uh, spiritual help. And God, I, you know, I wanted it and couldn't find it. And so God led me to a woman of God who uh, shared with me one day on the phone and just said, you know something, I, I know that you desire to come back to God. She said, the Lord showed me that. And I thought to myself, you know, even though that's what I wanted, you know how the enemy will uh, have your flesh kick in. And I mean, my spiritual flesh. And I'm like, you know, let me tell her that this newspaper that I publish in my own community that supports African-American churches and all that, the the money comes from gay dollars. The money comes from a gay magazine that I was successful. You know, I told her all that. In other words, I'm a lesbian and I'm so proud to be a lesbian. That's the money that paid. She let me go on and on and on. How disrespectful. She was not offended. And once I got through with my little rant, she said, let me tell you something. She said, God... If, you, if you're willing to say yes to the Lord, he's going to use you in a way that is going to be very impactful for the kingdom of God. She said, and, and the fact that you are so public about your lesbianism, but you come from a church background, that's what keeps you on that side because you don't believe that the church is ever going to be able to receive you, that you're ever not going to be able to be used again in church. She said, that's what God intends to use for such a time as this. And that was the key in my soul that unlocked uh, my being just bound concerning deliverance. You follow me? And concerning uh, just wanting to, to, to ask the Lord, please come into my heart. I hadn't done that because she was right. Come into my heart and then do what? And then sit in a lonely place by myself. Nobody's going to ever want. She said, look, God's going to, he's waiting for you so he can use you in his own way. And you've got the nerve and the boldness to allow him to do that. And because and she's right. So many others, even Paul said, look, such were some of you, which means back in Paul's days, such were some of them. But they are now washed. They are now clean. And guess what else they did? They kept their mouth quiet. They got married to someone of you know the opposite sex. They had children. They went on to, to live their lives. Uh, but these days, there's got to be someone, and there are plenty, I'm not the only one, who are willing to stand and say, guess what? That was me. So many other people have had this life, many others, many others, maybe someone who listened to me right now in their quietness is a witness. Yeah, I did that in college, but they never tell it. But in this day and time, God needs a witness so that these young children in school who are being indoctrinated into homosexuality, bisexuality, transgenderism will have a visible witness, an audible witness that God is still in the business of changing lives. And so he is raising up or has raised up an army and continues to raise up an army of folk who are unashamed to say, I am a former homosexual. I am saved by God's grace. No, I am not struggling to, to, uh, uh, with my sexuality whatsoever. By the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I am free. The old Charlene is in the grave. When, when Christ was buried, we just came out of uh, a, a wonderful season. And I, 
don't want to date your 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 uh, the audio, but we I went into the grave. The old Charlene went into the grave with Jesus Christ, and when I came up, when Jesus Christ came up uh, alive, a new person in Charlene Catherine came up alive. And uh, that's by the power of Second Corinthians five seventeen that says, "If any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are now become new." I took that so seriously, and uh, it became my, um, you know, just my, my my basis, my scriptural basis, uh, my foundation scripture <laughs> to salvation for me. I love uh, the fact that uh, I so it made me not care that anyone knew of, about my past. I say, you know, I I remember her too. <laughs> She's dead and gone. Let me introduce you to the new person uh, who, uh, by the power of Christ, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave, I believe it with all of my heart. Romans 8 says this. The same power that raised Jesus up from the dead lives in me and rose me up alive again. And uh, I've been strengthened over, I've been in ministry now. That was in 2006. I gave my whole heart to Christ and uh, been strengthened and walked uh, with him all this time. I am overwhelmed with uh, chills right now listening to your story. I could just feel the spirit coming off of what you're saying. It's just amazing. And thank you again for being here. This is great. Uh, what I'd like to do is there's some topics and some questions that generally get thrown around. I'd like to throw them at you now and get your take on them. And the first question is, um, people that are in in this life and lifestyle, a lot of times they'll say, since I've been little, I've always felt that way or the word, you know, born that way is the phrase that is always used. Can you speak to that and tell me what's going on in that situation? Yes, I, I, I certainly can. I, I, I certainly don't argue with a person who says as far back as I can remember if they're a guy. I've always liked boys as far back as I can remember. And I believe that they are telling you the truth because that is the way that Satan works. He wants to fill even your earliest memories with confusion. I'm not surprised by that. Satan tries, he especially tries to get a person off track early when he knows how dynamic a person they will be in the kingdom of God. So a person who says that to me, I, I, I look at them and say to my God, my God, you are one of, uh, you're supposed to be one of God's uh, secret weapons. And Satan tries to get people off track extremely early. I mean, my earliest memory of anything, I think, is back is when I was three years old. I think I was, I could remember standing up in my mother's car. And, you know, I had to be only three. I was standing up and my head still didn't hit the ceiling. So that was my earliest memory of being alive. But, you know, again, so Satan begins early in people's memory sometimes with uh, confusion. And I am not, uh, I, I don't negate that they felt that way, but it doesn't make it natural and it doesn't make it right. I mean, even the Bible says that we were all born in sin. So if we're born uh, with a sin nature, it begins to manifest itself in different ways early. You don't have to teach a three-year-old how to lie. He already somehow knows. Why? Because in our sin nature, we're born with some kind of sin. It doesn't mean that we're born gay. No, we're born with a confusion or we're born with a sin nature that God himself says, come to me and I'm able by the power of the blood of Christ, by faith, to totally change and transform. 
So now you had mentioned that you had a complete conversion around 06 and something that I've heard in the news and people have talked about are those programs they call conversion therapy, quote unquote. Now, based on what you're talking about with conversion or any of those programs, a lot of them are faith based. Uh, what is going on with them? Are they good, bad and different? Where do you stand on that, that kind of thing? That is a really good question. Uh, back when I was a lesbian publisher, oh my goodness, they write articles against conversion therapy. They are trying to make, you know, oh, they, they, and again, I, I, I can't even attribute how much of what they were saying was not true, but I can tell you what they were saying. They were saying that conversion theory was all about shock treatment and trying to make homosexuals, you know, uh, submit to something that they could not because they were born gay. And let me go back to the born gay lie, because I was there when this lie was, it really was something that they fabricated and put in the media. It is as simple as that. There is not one shred of evidence that there is any such gay gene. Any such, there's no scientific report of any kind, and they know this. Gays and lesbians know this. This born gay lie, um, let's see, in 92, I think it was, our magazine was making some, you know, good uh, noise in the, in the larger community, and someone wanted to interview me. And he said to, you know, he'd done the interview, he turns the mic off and says, Charlene, we need you to go on record and tell black gays and lesbians that they were born gay. And I'm like, well, where is he coming out with this junk? And I'm like, no, I won't do that. You know, I said, I decided this was a better life for me. I didn't want to know I'm not born gay. And he, no, he just didn't respond. We said our goodbyes. Two weeks later, he printed it as if I had said it. Even Charlene Cochran says they were all born homosexuals. And I could, I, that's when I understood how desperate they were. Who am I going to go to to get a retraction? They wouldn't retract it. What am I going to, who am I going to do? Write my, write, who am I going to do? What am I going to do? They knew that I had nowhere to turn and if they weren't, wouldn't retract it. And they did not. So what you're telling me is that the media is not always honest. Is that what I'm picking up? <laughs> the media is rarely honest. Gay media is rarely honest. Okay, Gay media is rarely honest. Everything they got to put, they got to add another lie to cover up another lie, another lie that was, you know, that they can cover up the worst lie. And so this is a uh, part of what, so back to conversion therapy. Um, I believe that, that Christian counselors uh, have, who, who, who follow biblical principles, who use the scriptures and use the name and the power and the blood of Jesus Christ when they're counseling a person, whether it be about natural marriage, whether it be about relationships, whether it be about stress, whether it be about the sin or, you know, deliverance from the sin of homosexuality. I believe that they are um, wonderful, useful uh, therapies. However, there are some conversion therapy methods that, you know, I've, I've questioned. And I also question those who question me. There is a, and I, I was really surprised to find that when I uh, came to Christ, there was a large segment of the evangelical community who, because they believe in, in uh, therapy and psychotherapy and so forth, they said, oh, impossible. It's impossible that she's free from homosexuality just by, you know, having a, a religious experience of some sort. Impossible. I couldn't believe my ears. That, and, and I actually went there. I was invited to a, uh, a conference of 
quote unquote Christian psychotherapist in Mexico City, Mexico. And I knew the Lord showed me before I went that they're not really coming to self to, you know, to celebrate you. <laughs> they're coming to disprove your testimony because their whole ministry is based on, you know, dollars and cents of parents spending 125 bucks an hour and buying their books on psychotherapy and sending their children to, you know, some, you know, whatever, month-long camp or whatever. And that collapses. It is all about making money from people's suffering from homosexuality. So you've got to perpetuate that you're always going to struggle. You're always going to need my next book. You're always going to need my next therapy. I sometimes look at that and they're the ones who say, oh, impossible. Charlene Cosman's story, that's, you know, it's not so credible. We can, we can barely believe it. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, so you, your book has more power than the Holy Ghost itself? Unbelievable. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. You know, I said, brother, all I know is just like the blind man in John chapter nine, you know, I, I don't know about what your, uh, your psychotherapy books say. All I know is I once lesbian and now I am not. And they, of course, I believe that gays and lesbians, I saw some of the media, the articles and stuff that they were putting out. I saw a lot of the blogs that they were talking about, but I also heard from other people, some of the things that they heard on the radio from Christian counselor, Christian, you know, psychotherapists and so forth, that uh, just, it's just a matter of falls. It's just a matter of time before she goes back to the gay and lesbian community because she's just suppressing it. They've been waiting for that for 13 years now. And I never had one desire to go back at all because Christ lives in me. And I'm telling you, you know, they just don't believe that that could happen. And it does, but you know, here's the other thing. I've heard from so many other people that the same thing has happened to them. Same thing. So I, I thank God for the witness that uh, others have been delivered without uh, psychotherapy, without conversion therapy, uh, but who had a commitment to the Word of God, who decided I'm going to obey the Word of God. Look, who decided, look, I read many books and looked at movies about homosexuality, and that helped me to make up my mind, that helped me to decide that, that, I, that I'm gay, that helped me decide to come out to my mother, that helped me to decide, well, guess what, now that I see that that life is empty, that life is fake, that that life is, an, is, 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 is a fake life, now here is a book that tells me that it is life. I'm going to follow these instructions. Why not? What have I got to lose? And see where it leads me. And I'm telling you, it led me to a brand new life in him with no connection in my mind or flesh about going back to lesbianism. Yes, I, well, I'm still single, but yes, I do desire to be <laughs> to a man <laughs> now, but he has me um, full-time in ministry. Well, what I want to know is that you... Um... When you tell that story, it's funny because you have a, a, a an element of, of Christians that say, well, you shouldn't be doing this. You need to come to Christ. And then when you come to Christ, they're fighting you on it that you didn't really. It can't, it's like you can't seem to win. But now on the flip side of that, as you were telling me that when you started speaking out against it, that you started getting a lot of hate from that same community. And I, I find it interesting because the word love gets thrown around a lot, like love wins and love knows no boundaries, love, love, love. But the moment you speak out against it, Anger and hate start flying. So, what is that all about? What What is some of the the experience you have with that? When When you hear people talking about um, love wins, I'm I'm thinking particularly about a, a person, an activist uh, from Human Rights Campaign, and 
they want you to think there that, that life is about love. It's not about love. It's about uh, is about codependency, which is an unhealthy uh, condition. One person left home with something that they shouldn't have. Another person left home without something that they should have had. Uh, and they connect. You know, they're getting something from each other that they didn't get from a parent or from from you know from from their home, from their upbringing, or maybe they were unchurched. And so um, they call it love. This is the first time they've been received by someone who didn't judge them or whatever. And they all this is what they know. So I, I believe that they call this this this, this codependency and this, this same sex relationship that they're having. They call it love because that's all they know to call it. It's their first experience like that. I understand where it comes from. But uh but there is another level. Uh there's there's, a, there's another their eyes need to be open to what real love is. Real love sacrifices himself uh, on a cross so that you uh, can live his real life. And then I hear people say, God is love, and therefore he, I know he loves me just like I am. And I agree. And they look at me like, what do you mean you agree? You know, you're supposed to be on the opposite side of this. I'm like, no. God does love you. I remember being a lesbian and remembering and thinking that God loved me. Even though I was sinning, I knew I was sinning, but I still knew that in my sinful state, he still loved me. I knew that. But here's what they don't know. God is waiting on you. He loves you just like you are. But he's waiting on you to love him just like he is. God is a certain way. God is holy. God has created an order, a, ma- a natural family. God created this before he even created the church. He created marriage. This is his institution. This is his life being. He created us. We didn't create him. And so when I hear people say, All right, well, I'm happy. I'm, you know, we're in just like we are. We worship God just like we are, and God accepts us. He loves us just like we are. Okay, he loves everyone and, and hopes that you'll come uh, come to, to light. He hopes that you'll come to the place where you'll love him just like he is. But here's the other thing. Those who say that they are at peace with God in the state that they're in, they're, you know, a couple, and they both go to church together, and we're at peace with God. You are at peace with a God that you've created. We're not talking about the God of the Bible. If you're at peace, if you're homosexual and anybody else who is willfully in sin, homosexuality just happens to be the topic of of this interview. But anyone who is willfully walking in sin and has peace at it and saying that God okays it, that God is fine with it and I'm going to heaven anyhow, whatever it is that you're willfully walking in, you're willfully walking in darkness. I'm telling you, you have created a God whom you are worshiping. And people do that all the time. God's, and that's one of the first things that God said in, in the other Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me because he knows that people create gods all the time. I'm creating this God because he's okay with the way me and him are together. That's not the actual one and only true and living God. That is stunningly amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, 
what I want to ask, and this is my question that I've, I've often asked, and I can't seem to get a real good answer for this. Now, we touched a little on the elements of money. There's a lot of money flying around uh, this movement. There's a lot of political power, as you mentioned, media support, as we talked about also, like a big coordinated effort of things that are going on. Um, what I want to know is that, and, and I've heard varying numbers. For instance, I've heard people say that between 3 to 5% of the population is gay, lesbian, uh, I've heard even less for transgender uh, and whatever the numbers may be. It's a, a very small percentage. So in my opinion, I would say, why does such a small percentage of people control such a large amount of culture or influence, have a, like as much influence as they have based on that kind of number? So based on everything we've talked about with all that, break it down, unpack it for me. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm working on that answer in my, my upcoming book called No Turning Back. And I'm just going to give you what uh, what I believe to be so. And I know this is probably a little off the chart, but I know it's true. And when I speak it out loud, uh, others, in, again, going, they're going to get a check in their spirit that, you know something? That is probably right. I'm telling you the reason why that there is so much influence from such a small number of people controlling so many folks is because there's so many secrets among folk in high places concerning homosexuality, bisexuality in their past. You follow me? There, and I know this to be sure, true. There are people, particularly in Chicago, we keep going back to Chicago. I remember people taking pictures of folk, you know, hoping that when that, oh, this will be good 10 years from now. That attitude is what's fueling a lot of, uh, uh, of, of, of uh, statesmen, Congressmen, senators, they have passed where, oh, you're not going to move on this issue? Let me share with you a photograph I have of you 25 years ago of you and me at the summer camp. Remember that? Now, uh, your wife could get a copy of this. Your children could get a copy of this. Or you can vote in our direction. This is what is moving so many folk. We all have passed. Everybody has a past. But you'll be surprised how many folk in the 60s, back when marijuana was ruling, I mean, you know what I'm saying, back at the hippie movement is what I'm trying to say, had dibbled and dabbled with a little bit of this and that and how folk even back then, the, 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 the fringe would encourage people, get some proof. It'll be great 20 years from now. We're going to need it. This, I'm telling you, a lot of that is what's going on. Here's an example of that, of, of, of that um, in particular. I was in New Jersey. And this was just before the governor of New Jersey was forced out of the closet by the same type of secret. Uh, a young man who knew, I was, uh, who knew who I was came in my office uh, and said, and I was still publishing uh, the gay magazine. I wasn't. Uh, converted at the time, and he said to me, and he was gloating, just gloating. He says, Charlene, he says, uh, he's a little white guy. He says, um, I just went to the, the newspaper, the major daily newspaper in our city, and he says, and I demanded of them that they, I wrote him a letter, and I demanded that the publisher begin putting uh, same-sex unions, because that's what they were in New Jersey at the time, same-sex unions, publishing them in the newspaper, you know, in the engagement section. And they refused, saying that the, that the community was not ready for that. Absolutely not. 
And so I sent him a photograph of me and him back when he was, you know, this was before he was a publisher. People have had passed and they've forgotten what they've done back then. It's been so long ago. He said, and he said it wasn't even 24 hours after he received my package that the newspaper immediately reversed. Isn't that amazing? He was gloating about this. And I was like, oh my God. Because I'm looking at the newspaper in my hand, the very first same sex union in the engagement section. And I'm sitting here with the guy in front of me telling me how it got there. Don't tell me, though, she's just speculating. I'm telling you from the inside how a lot, I'm not saying how much of it, but a lot of it can be contributed to such activity. We all have past, and sometimes the, the past, our past, that the enemy will take and use uh, our, uh, the past to try to fuel his future. Man, your sin will always find you out, will it not? <laughs> yes, they will. Oh, man. Yes, they will. And because they don't want anybody else to find out, they go on and vote that way. You follow me? Or they go on and pretend that they've evolved that way and so forth. That is so crazy. And, you know, it makes total sense when you kind of look at the 30,000 foot view of everything. And and pivoting on that in that same area, um, the transgender movement, it, which is the big thing right now that you're seeing, you know, I'm seeing bathrooms being changed with these signs explaining why it's like paragraph long bathroom signs telling me what they're for. And uh, again, an even smaller percentage of a population. Uh, but you actually in your uh, in your past experience, you've had uh, direct experience with someone who was a transgender person as well. And that was kind of an odd experience. Could you talk about that a little? Yes, I mean, I mean, when you spend that much time in gay life, clearly you, you have experiences where you know transgender. I remember knowing many uh, transgender guys who, you know, you go to a drag, who hadn't seen, if you lived any time in gay life and, or around gay life, you've seen a drag show that was just beautifully produced and just very, very entertaining. And then you see that same person at the grocery store or whatever. And those were folks that I used to just marvel at because they put on such, you know, just an enormous, like a New York City show. It was just an amazing thing. I'm not taking away from that. They were very entertaining at the time. However, I had a friend who was very, gosh, just very macho. Just, I mean, he was gay. But just a, you know, uh, he was a, a man, you know, a he-man. And I enjoyed his company. We had great conversations. We laughed and talked about everything. In fact, he's, he's younger than I was. And he was really one of the ones who introduced me to gay clubs. And he um, dances so well. You see dances with the, Dancing with the Stars, right? The guys on Dancing with the Stars who lead the women, he was, he was a professional dancer. He would dance and he could hurl women up in the air and all that. So it was always a pleasure to go out dancing with him and all that. Then he, as a prank in Atlanta, Georgia, early 90s, dressed up as Diana Ross. I'm talking about hair, everything, makeup, spent all these hours getting transformed into Diana Ross. And the attention that he received from that I'm telling you, was, was, I can't, I can't, spiritually, all I can say is that uh, it was designed from hell to take him down a confused road. He received so much attention. I think they did a write-up in the paper and, you know, oh my God, doors flinging open and men falling down at his feet and all this craziness. He loved it. He loved the attention that he was getting from it. And so he, you know, began to do 
drag shows on a regular basis. And I kind of was okay with that, except that when he was in drag, he had a completely different personality that was foreign to who I knew as a friend. I knew Lee. You know, Lee was a funny guy. He was a great waiter on the restaurants. He trained waiters at restaurants. He was so personable, just a great guy. He was a good man. Great man. He was gay, but he was a great man. But this Whitney Ferris Lee, who, which is the you know name he took on, I did not you know care for. Just very uh, arrogant, you know, whatever. And I just, I you know, so I'm, I couldn't wait until that was over with. Get the thing out, you know, just you know, be out of that kind of personality. Your show is over. But he began to walk every day, eventually, in this persona. I mean, full dress, hair, makeup, to the grocery store. And I'm like, you know, so when he come by, I'm like, you can't come to my house like this. You know, I just couldn't believe. And I was still gay, but I could not, uh, con- you know, I just couldn't get with the fact that my male, very male friend had gone somewhere else. And he had divorced himself from the person that I knew. And I could not receive this person that I knew not. And so early on, our friendship dissolved while I was still in gay life. I just, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't receive it. And, um, to this day, we, we, we don't talk. I think about him often. And now that I see the, the gay and lesbian movement and how they are in, in New York, there's a law. If you call someone by the wrong pronoun, you can be fined. You know, within the city of, uh, if you work for the city of New York or the state, uh, you can be fined $150,000 for calling someone the wrong pronoun. That is lunacy. Absolute lunacy. That person's DNA tells them who they are. There is no accident when the word of God says he made them male and female. He didn't just mean he created them. He means your DNA is, cannot be unmade. If a man who is trans, you know, whatever they call it, trans, uh, has gone through the, the operation and now has all the parts that look like a woman, guess what? Your DNA still says you're a man. So that if you are lost in an auto accident and burned beyond recognition, the results will come back pale. And they know this and they hate it so much that they're, 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 that they're out to, to, to make you call them, make you uh, believe like they believe that, no, I am a woman, I'm not a man. And if, and if you don't do that, you're harming me. Therefore, we're going to find you. That is absolute lunacy. It is real lunacy. You know, something you just said kind of triggered a question in my mind. And this is maybe a little bit the stupid question, but you see it often mentioned in like culture or TV shows. It's almost become a caricature, but um, there's such a large presence of this lifestyle in arts, like music and dance and theater. Is there a reason for that? I'm just kind of curious. <laughs> uh, the, the devil, when I say the devil, I mean Satan, is the father of lies. And Satan himself was a musician. Satan himself was an artist. You know, a very erudite artist. Great music. He was, the music. he was such a good musician that he thought he was a god, that he should be worshipped as God himself. And got kicked out of heaven. And so when Satan, who was a musician, an artist, got kicked out of the he was already there. He got kicked out of perfect peace. He was already there. Then he doesn't want anyone else. And many of the angels, a third of the angels, also got kicked out of heaven. They were 
perfect worshipers of the Lord, music musicians. You follow me? And so that whole uh, demonic presence around artistry, I believe, is out of Satan's jealous heart that he can't go back to heaven. So he tries to keep them from it by invading their lives early on, invading their lives so deeply uh, to, uh, with the spirit of pride. That is what is, 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 is uh, illuminated in, um, in that community. You know, my God, I, I've created this. Look at my work. I am a God. I've created this. That is the spirit that comes from Satan that got him kicked out of the presence of God. What's so funny about that, too, is I've played music my whole life. And when you're playing and you have a group of people that are adoring you and worshiping you for your music, it is very easy to get into that. And the other part is I I have been part of several church worship teams. And I have noticed that whenever an attack comes against the church, it always comes through the worship team. Every single time I've seen it, that's one of the biggest places of contention I've seen in the whole process. It's so interesting that 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 you bring that up because it, it, it fits in perfectly. But speaking of church, let's pivot to that a little bit. Um, when you were saying you were looking for someone to speak the truth to you, so that, that's kind of a big issue now is that not only speaking the truth is difficult because we don't always know what to do. We don't know if we're going to get fined or end up in jail. Who knows what's going to happen now? But the thing that I've heard from friends of mine that have left this lifestyle and have left this just this whole thing what I hear is that it's, in general, first off, hard to leave the community as it is because of such social pressure. I guess they call it leaving the lifestyle. But uh, if you could speak to that a little bit and then as Christians, just regular everyday people, not even ministers, just anyone listening to the show, you know, how do we, how do we interact? How do we help? What, what do we do? Well, okay, as far as uh, leaving the lifestyle, there is going to come uh, a day there's going to come a time in the life of, um, of people when they're going to want to get out. I believe that. And um, uh, they know that they're going to be vilified. They know that their friends are going to call them crazy, stupid, narrow-minded. They're going to call them uh, brainwashed. Every insult they can throw at you, uh, particularly if you are uh, a Christian, oh, you're, you know, all the, all the above. And so nobody wants to endure that. But Listen, I say run toward that because Jesus said, if they, if they mock me, they're going to mock you. That's a sign that you're running toward the one and only true and living God. Don't be afraid of that. You're running toward the light. You're running toward life. And so once they see that you're actually running away from that or you made up your mind that you're going to keep walking toward what you know to be true, then they're going to eventually sever themselves from you, and you've got to be all right with that. I met a young woman who didn't want to leave because she was afraid, oh, my God, all, all my friends, they don't, they don't want me to change. That means that they, they said that they won't be able to hang around me anymore. She's afraid of losing her, her group of friends. And I said, sweetheart, that is um, foundationally, uh, what stepping into Christianity means. You know, you, you're going to lose some friends. You've got to understand that God is going to reshape you and connect you with new friends who, uh, who are able to enrich you and walk with you in, uh, into eternal life. You, you can't be afraid of losing the old uh, friends. And if they were real friends, they would encourage you toward what is true, not, is what, not what is untrue. 
So what can we do? What can Christians do to encourage people? Number one, we can love one another. There's no substitute uh, for the love of God. And so, mother, if you have a daughter, you're not to throw her out. You are to love her, but yet still tell her the truth. You're going to have to endure uh, because they've been so emboldened now with uh, eight years of Obama and with uh, all that you know, the Supreme Court did uh, in the absence of truth. They've been emboldened by that. And what you know, how uh, gays and lesbians have now invaded the entire public school system. They've been emboldened by all that. So children have no problem now at nine, ten years old coming home telling their mother, I, I don't date, you know, a little girl. I'm, I don't want to date boys. I want to date girls. I'm mommy. I'm, I know I'm gay at nine and 10 years old. What, and this is heartbreaking to a Christian parent, but I'm telling you that this is your child. You love that child. You embrace that child, hug that child, but tell them the truth. And mom and dad, uh, you, um, you can still make a difference. Don't think that you can't. Let me tell you what you're competing with when your daughter thinks she's gay. That means she's got some little girl in her ear telling her, you're so special. I really like being around you. You're, you know, I, until I, I don't even have another friend like you. You're, some, you're wonderful. They've got that. But guess what, mom? You can compete with that. The problem is parents are absent from their children's lives in that way. Parents are you know, putting the roof over their head. They're working hard. And I'm really, you know, I won't say just in the black community. There are a lot of people who are struggling to make ends meet. And so they're working so much outside of the home, they're, you know, but they're, they're, they're getting it done. They're keeping the rent paid, keeping the lights on, putting the food on the table, keeping the car note paid, insurance. You know the drill. Until they're not spending enough quality time. Mother, I'm telling you, if you got with that, your daughter who's 13 and, and is on the verge of confusion and you cancel everything one weekend, look, I'm not going to work. Dad, look, I can't wait right now. Me and my and me and, and daughter here, we're going to take a special weekend. Why? Because she is the sweetest thing ever. They, I mean, somehow we've got to begin to give our children quality time. So when that other person comes to give them that kind of attention that they have not gotten before, it doesn't look new and feel like something I have to float toward. Number parents have got to be parents. They've got to come back and give children loving attention um, that's been missing in their life. That's one thing uh, we can do. Okay, if your child is already gone, there's not an opportunity for that. They're living outside the home. They may even be um, in a relationship cohabitating with another person and saying, okay, we're thinking about getting married. And you're afraid, oh, my God. Number one, they can't stop you, parent, from praying. And if you are a person who believes by faith that God hears you, don't let the evangelical community or any other community whatsoever, you know, whatever therapist or whoever who don't put much value in the power of prayer, don't let that turn you. My mother had no one to turn to. She had no parents of, friend, you know, of, of whose children of gay group. She had nobody she could, back then she was, it was a shameful thing. So she didn't go to church to share this with anyone. She suffered this my entire adult life. Yet she prayed. She prayed in such a fashion that she would call me up in the middle of her cries to Christ, to God about me. 
And I, I, I loved my mother. I respected her too much to hang up the phone on her. She would call me up and be in the middle of crying out to God over me. And I would hold the phone away from my ear like, oh, Lord, here she goes again. But those prayers pulled me out. God loves parents so much and mothers in particular, in particular. How do I know this? Because Jesus was on the cross and looked down to love his mother and to make sure she was taken care of. So when I got saved, it wasn't that anything that I did that, that, Christ, that God showed up in the middle of a gay pride event to open my eyes. He was keeping his promise to my mother. He keeps his promises. He kept his, he kept his promise to her that he would in her absence love me gently keep talking to me listen keep me safe kept me covered all the crazy stuff i did i never you know never had came down with any kind of disease was never killed you know, with all the drinking i did with all the social events and stuff i used to have shot glasses lined up people sending me drinks and i would of course i had to drink them all <laughs> of course <laughs> sometimes i got, didn't even know how i got home i don't even remember i look out the window the next day and see my car almost parked in the middle of the street and I would say, oh, my, and I would laugh. <laughs> How did I get home? God kept me. I could have killed someone else, killed myself. But he had, he looked into the future, kept his promise to my mother, saved me. And now I owe him everything, every word, every step I owe him. And so I pray that I'm encouraging parents today to uh to 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 understand that God hears you and to understand that your children are will be one day put under arrest I, that's what happened to me I couldn't escape it one moment more when God gets ready God placed me under arrest and I could not rest at night I could no longer enjoy sexual activity after that day in in Bryant Park couldn't so it was like, it was wasteful then to be a lesbian. It was like, I can't even, you know, I can't even give it out my head. I, I can't. I was like, okay. So, so, you know, the Bible says that sin is pleasurable for a season, mm. but seasons yeah. change. Wow. And when that season changes, that young man, that young woman, that old woman, because there's some old people getting into it too. Believe me, when that season changes, they're going to want to get out and they are going to come looking for the truth. That is when a uh, million your ministry, that's when the evidence ministry, my ministry is going to become like they won't hear this truth anywhere else. All the churches that are now flipping and just accepting, you know, gay and lesbian pastors and we, we do gay weddings now. It's OK now. They're going to come looking for the truth and gonna go to a church that, and, and know that they're not living the truth. But then and get there. Oh, we're we're a welcoming congregation. We welcome gays. Oh God, this is not what I'm looking for. I'm looking to how to get out of this. <laughs> yep. That all these churches now that are flipping are turning into houses of untruth. But there's a day coming where they're gonna chase you down to hear this broadcast and, and others like it because you're willing to put the truth before the people. And so, and I and I understand this uh, valuably. That's why I'm sharing it as, as transparently as I can. Because there's a whole congregation of folk who's going to be around your show looking for the truth that they can't find in the house of God. Charlene, would you tell me about Evidence Ministry that you oversee? 
Yes, it's um, a ministry that God gave me in 2008. Uh, I've been uh, saved for about two years, and we have grown. So we have, um, let's get to what we're doing. We have a, a, a website where there are tools that uh, share with parents some of our, um, some of our videos, uh, some articles. I wrote an article called 10 Ways to Get Out of the Gay Life If You Want Out. God has certainly used that as a tool around the world. It's been translated into many, many languages, and, pe- and people have written me letters how, uh, listen, I wasn't even in the gay life, and it, and it helped me come out of atheism. It helped me come out of drugs. It helped me come out of uh, wife swapping. I'm, I'm just blown away at what God does sometimes. So the, there, there is fruit. Uh, there is, there's, there's evidence that folk are blessed uh, by, and again, nothing I created. I'm just... I, I point everybody to Jesus, you know, right back in, in each of the 10 points, you know, and one is just to believe God's word uh, the way it is. Uh, the, the homosexual activists always have an agenda when they present the, the Bible. You know, they present it with an agenda, the agenda that uh, the Bible says oh, that homosexuality is okay. That's what they want to how where they want to end up. And so, of course, they're going to only show you this scripture, not show you that scripture. Have some kind of you know rebuttal to this scripture. Listen, don't study the Bible like that. If you really just want to know the truth, all right, you don't want to hear me, then don't hear that either. Just go to the Word for yourself without any agenda, and and ask God to show. You. And when you do that, you can't help but see the truth. So uh, the 10 ways to get out just starts with uh, just having people take a real look uh, without any kind of screens uh, at the word of God and, uh, and go from there. I just sort of point them down. So that tool is there. We also have a uh, weekly radio broadcast that's heard in you know, six or seven cities. We're asking uh, God to, uh, we'd like to be in every major market million. Uh, I share uh, much like I'm sharing with you, and we want we want folk who are in it. The, the, the show is called The Sound of Victory, and it is for evangelizing the homosexual community. It is also for discipling those who've made decisions, because they may not get this uh, from their own church. Like I said, I just never know where churches are uh, uh, along the journey, and even when my experience has been uh, over the years, that even when you do find a Bible-believing church, sometimes there's a wait-and-see attitude, because a lot of people haven't been delivered from things themselves. And so they have trouble believing that God has done such a miraculous work and such a quick work in you when, gosh, well, I've struggled with, you know, my little lust for, you know, the last 30 years, how you get over, you know, your stuff, which is way more, they figure. Uh, dramatic than what I was going through, and you tell me you're completely delivered, we better wait and see. So I, I had a lot of that. So in other words, I had to walk alone for many years. But anyone that God is going to use in a tremendous fashion, Moses, anybody, they had to walk alone for a period of time. This is also a chapter in my book, letting people know, don't be surprised, don't be afraid of it. I'm trying to tell you, you have such an intimate and wonderful relationship with Jesus. And that's what you need, really. After having been uh, uh, in homosexuality for all those years, I needed that time alone. What do I look like jumping out of that directly into a relationship with a man? I needed that time with just me and Jesus. I needed that. And through that, he discipled me to a point where I went into full-time, I am in full-time ministry, 
and I'm sharing many personal experiences on uh, the sound of victory. And I'm also talking about uh, some of the things that I want to warn my listeners about, one of them being the Equality Act, quote, unquote. This is something that um, I'm warning people about, and uh, every church ought to be on alert, every civic leader, every mom, every dad, every school. Uh, the trans, uh, so-called, no such thing as transgenderism, but the so-called transgender activists are, have pushed um, the Democrats in Congress to uh, to propose this tr- this Equality Act, and what they're trying to do is to elevate sexual orientation and gender identity to a protected class. And so, this is a very extremely dangerous threat to religious freedom, to free speech, to and to privacy, to women's rights uh, that have been proposed. And um, I'm so glad that my friend Matt Staver has um, uh, has, has sent out uh, a, just a very loaded uh, uh, press release that is warning everybody to to talk about this, and I do agree. And so the Human Rights Commission, of which I was a card-carrying member, I was such an active member, they would fly me to Washington to be a part of their think tanks to give ideas on how to push gay and lesbian um, issues forward. They have, they have launched a uh, star-studded Americans for Equality Act public awareness campaign. They spend a lot of money on advertising. Media is where gays and lesbians get their work done. And they own certain television stations. When I say they own them, I don't mean, you know, that they're the actual financial owner. But I mean they have the influence on uh, many, many news uh, stations. They have the influence on several magazines, newspapers. And when a person sees something in writing or hear it on TV, we're such a, you know, we're gluttons for, 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 for television and media. They believe it and they know that. They know that they can feed America a lie and America will say, uh, I don't know about that. But they've conditioned your thinking. And then they feed it to another station that you watch or another newspaper you like. Oh, that's the second time I read that. It, it must be true. And then you, you follow me, and then all they have to do is say it a third time, and oh, study it. Then you'll start quote, they'll start quoting it. Well, studies say that they can't change. Now you're reverb, you're putting it out there for them. They know this. And so now we've got this Equality Act, and they're putting all of their advertising dollars into getting this word out that basically says sexual orientation and gender identity. It should be a hate crime. If you uh, call me him when I'm considered a her and so forth, this is this will impact churches, religious colleges and universities, private and public Christian schools is going to impact religious and private organizations It's going to impact employers and employees. You think you hired a man. You need a man on the job. But guess what? That man wakes up and decides that he's a woman that day. Now you've got to go out and buy new insurance to cover his sex change. Equality Act. is It is lunacy. And we have got to know what it means because what they're going to try to sell you. And guess who's selling it for them? It's actress Sally Fields. Who doesn't love Sally Fields? She is their anchor. And several other Hollywood faces that we know and, you know, you like in your favorite films. These are the faces who will be leading out to try to make you, oh, 
gays and lesbians are discriminated against. Uh, they don't have protection on their jobs. And so that's what the Equality Act is all about. That is a lie. When is the last time you heard? And here in the state of Florida, I can't even find a case where a homosexual has been discriminated against on his job or her job. But there are several cases where Christians are discriminated against or fired from their job because their Christians aren't there. There, It is such lunacy. Don't you believe in protections of gays and housing? What are you talking about? I am a real estate agent. I've been a real estate agent for, gosh, since the 80s. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, not even in the 80s were gays discriminated against in housing. If you want a house and you buy it, everybody wants to live next to the gay couple. They've got a beautiful lawn. The house is fabulous. You know, it's going to be painted. It's going to be fat. Well, what are you talking about? Gays are not discriminated in housing. Now, a Christian is discriminated against if uh, even in even in renting out rooms in your home, which a lot of people do to make ends meet, you will not be able to say, no, sir, um, you're not a match for me if it's based on faith. And that's another thing. None of your, if you end up going to court to, to try to fight for your own religious freedom, if you're a business owner, and we've all heard about uh, the gentleman who is the cake maker, thank God he's won a victory. But if the Equality Act were in place, he would not have won. He would not have been able to use his religious beliefs under federal law to claim as a claim of his defense. That is dangerous. That forces every single business owner to do whatever some lunatic wants them to do. Okay, I want a cake with all penises on them. I haven't, and I say that, I'm not just making this up. I have a niece who's been on um, Cupcake Wars. She's very good at baking. And uh, I had to unfriend her on Facebook because she had cupcakes with penises sticking out of them. I'm like, what? I go, what are you doing? What is this? She said, well, Auntie, I can't, I can't not do it. I mean, she's already acting as if a law is in place. They, he asked, that's what he asked for. And I can't, re- I can't refuse him as if she could not. As if she, as if she is legally bound to put whatever her client, you know, and so this is this is very dangerous. It's very very dangerous. So the so-called so-called Equality Act is uh, a package of lies by homosexual activists, mainly the so-called transgender community, uh, trying to get you to believe that they're being that they're being discriminated against in housing. They are not that they are being discriminated against uh, on, uh, through employment, which they are not. This bill is probably 50 years too late. But, but you know, they can't call it what they used to call it, the, the Employment Non-Discrimination Act, because they know they're not being discriminated against on the job. You ask Calvin Cochran, the fire chief of Atlanta, Georgia, who wrote a book and, what, not even a whole paragraph he uh, disciples men who become Christian that, you know, homosexuality is not God's design. Not even a whole paragraph in the book. They, what, they gave some lesbian mate, went to the mayor, made him do a whole investigation, and they found that he had never discriminated, discriminated against any of his employees, even the ones he knew were gay. Never. And they fired him anyway. So why do we need a so-called equality act? This is an inequality act toward Christians. Let's just name it the way it should be named. That's what this bill should be called. Inequality for Christians. Thank you for allowing me to talk about that a little bit. We've got to take a stand. You need to write your congressman and let them know 
that you are not with it. You're going to be watching the way they vote. Okay, so what we have to do. Where can people find Evidence Ministry? Is there a website for that? TheEvidenceMinistry.org. TheEvidenceMinistry.org. And our radio program uh, can be found there, which is called The Sound of Victory. And we are in, in the midst of putting our podcast up on a YouTube channel, which you should be able to hear and listen to any episode shortly. Thank you. So it has been uh, a long interview today, and I appreciate your time, your time in speaking with us about this. This has been so good and so powerful. And when your book is all ready, then we'd like to have you back on. We'll talk about your book specifically. So well, I definitely want you back with us. Oh, you better believe it. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm, uh, I've talked about so much of it already, but that's okay. We'll, 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 uh, I'll be contacting you. And I really, uh, it's just good timing. I feel the anointing in, 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 in talking with you. And uh, I just know that you're doing the work of the Lord. And I sincerely appreciate you reaching out to me again. You didn't stop. I thank you for that. I appreciate it. Well, before we wrap up today, one last thing I'd like to do, if you will, please, is that, um, and speaking to the listeners for a moment. Now, if you're a person that is involved in this lifestyle or you're identifying with any of these things, the first thing I just want to say on the show is, is that this is not being brought to you in any form of like hate or malice. I don't feel that way about anyone, no matter who they are. I'm not a hateful guy. But what I want to do is there's one-sided information that's everywhere, as we've talked about in the show. All I'm doing here is I'm bringing you another side of it from someone who's been through it and can speak on it more intelligently than I can. And that's what I'm uh, hoping to do here today, and, and that's why I'm so grateful for uh, Reverend Charlene to be with us. Um, Reverend Charlene, as we are wrapping up and get ready to close out, um, what I'd like to do is, could you give maybe like a final thought or final encouragement to somebody that's dealing with this or maybe would like to get out of it and maybe wrap up with a quick prayer for everybody? Can you close us out on that? Absolutely. Uh, I just wanted to uh, let you know that uh, if you're um, living a lesbian life, you're living a gay life, I want you to know that I was you. And uh, I remember uh, how, um, how close I felt to the person that I was with. So it doesn't matter how short your relationships are or, or how deep you went into to, to these, this life. Uh, it is that word that, that we uh, that particularly in the gay and lesbian community, they they don't want you to hear, uh, but it is the word that 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 saves our lives, our eternal lives, and that it, it is sin. We just have to admit to ourselves, be willing to humble ourselves. That's what I had to do. I had to come to the place where I was willing to admit to myself that my life was not pleasing to God, and it was. Once I finally arrived there and finally said, okay, uh, my life is not pleasing to God, I, I struggled because I knew that meant that I was going to lose lots of friends. I knew that meant that all of the work that I had done, the works of my hands, the organizations that I helped to found, the magazine that I published and all this stuff, I said, God, that means that my whole 25 years has been for nothing. It's been to, for naught. And finally, when I said, yeah, that's what it means. It means a new start. The moment I accepted that, weight was lifted off of me. And I hadn't even asked for forgiveness yet. But God had already begun doing something new because I humbled myself. And then 
I, I, I began to ask him, I said, Lord, forgive me. I thank God for the woman of God I met who sort of led me down this road. But I was willing, after, hum- after humbling myself, I was willing to say, I don't care what it is that I perceive that I had. God, you can have it. You can have all of me. If there's something you can do with me now, then I give you my whole heart. And that's very important. You can't give God, oh, let me just give him the gay thing. The rest of me is okay. God wants your whole heart. And I promise you, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if any man is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creature. Romans 10.9.10 says that if you're willing to confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, that God raised from the dead, that Jesus was raised from the dead, you shall be rescued from whatever sin has done in your life. And he'll give you a brand new thought process through reading and getting in relationship with the word of God. He'll show you your instructions, your walking papers. He shows you just be willing to obey the word of God. It's not as hard as you think. When you're willing, why don't you pray with me right now? Say this prayer with me, wherever you are, wherever you are. If you're at the gym listening through your radio or through your headset, if you're riding along, however you're listening to this broadcast right now, repeat these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm tired now. I want a new start. I need you, Lord, to help me to forgive myself. Please come into my heart and wash away all of my sins by faith. I accept your perfect work that you did at the cross. I believe you died and rose again just for me. Help me to walk this new life. Help me. So study your word. Help me to be the evidence that you are in my life. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Now, Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray over these, O God, whose hearts have opened in earnest. I ask you right now to strengthen them. I ask you to lead them to a Bible-believing church, Lord, where they can be blessed. And be a blessing in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I will amen that as well. Again, listeners, Reverend Charlene Cothran, the Evidence Ministry, Palm Coast, Florida, has been with us today for a powerful, powerful message. And we thank you for being here. Anytime, visit our website at dominionfire.com. You can find all of our other podcasts, YouTube vlogs, and all of our other information there. And uh, that's going to wrap it up for today. Charlene, thank you so much for being here. And we wish you the absolute best. And we look forward to having you again in the future with your new book. Fantastic. Thank you, sir.